2: Welcome to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray of iNewspaper and iNews.co.uk. This is the mid-first week of French Open pod. We need a name for it, really. The second round is over, or all but over, I should say. We've still got Alize Cornet versus Yelena Ostapenko to go, but um, given that we've already had all the other matches, it's felt like as good a time as any to get cracking. I'm joined by uh, Calvin Beton, as I have been... Uh, most of the week. And also, George Belshaw has squeezed us into his notoriously busy schedule between various Downing Street parties, sorry, parties that were meetings, uh, work meetings that he's been at, uh, to have a look at back at the first five days of the French Open and also talk a little bit about the next couple. Um, As always, uh, if you want to leave us a review, we're very grateful that you can and that you choose to. Uh, We prefer that you leave five-star reviews because, as I found out this week, when you get really personal in reviews, it actually sticks with you for quite a long time. So, huge amounts of credit to JL Clerk for his review, uh, creatively entitled, Great Concept, Idiotic Presenter. Uh, Thanks very much, mate. Had a lovely day after that. Uh, But I should say thanks very much to Sachi R., who did say something nice, Fave Tennis podcast. Uh, somehow over the last couple of years has become my absolute favourite of the many I listen to. Great humour and banter, confined with expertise and informed opinion. Wish it was more than once a week. Also wish Calvin pronounced Nike correctly. Calvin, <laughs> 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 oh, any response to that uh, criticism or your I'm... chosen pronunciation of the famous sports brand?
0: Um, I, d- I don't think there's anything wrong with my pronunciation. It doesn't have an accent on the E and I will continue enjoying my Nike trainers.
2: Funnily enough, um, as an ancient Greek scholar... As I am, or at least was, in my university days, the correct pronunciation is actually Nike, because that's the name of the goddess of victory. But uh, mm. but when you tell people that, they tend to give you lots of other four-letter words that aren't Nike. So um, <laughs> I tend...
0: can we get into Adidas or Adidas?
2: Ah, oh, well? no, but that's like a class thing, isn't it? Like, isn't that that's like a culture divide? So...
1: The th- the thing that annoys me most about Adidas is that they insist on spelling their brand with like a small a at the start, regardless of what it is. That that winds me up beyond belief. Like, have I told be you a capsule, my? It's a noun. We'll get
2: onto the tennis shortly, but have I told you my Asics story? So Asics, the it trainer sounds brand... sounds great. I can't wait. Asics, <laughs> <laughs> the trainer brand, as we you know, which we all know, I don't think that's news. They sponsor Eva Shuntek. and I found out that the 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 reason they're called Asics is because it stands for um, anime sano anime sana in corpore sano which is the latin phrase for healthy mind and a healthy body but actually it's a quote from a poem, from a poet called Juvenal and the quote is mens sana in corpore sano which is a different word for mind but m6 isn't such a good name for a trainer brand so they've just fudged the quote Oh, I yeah. know, it's it fascinating, delivered. isn't it? Yeah, it I delivered. just Honestly, this is the problem with podcasting, is that you can't get all the really interesting <laughs> listeners going, oh, that is interesting, James. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> you just get George and Calvin staring at you like you're a boring bastard. Can,
1: can I can I jump into our review section quickly and just say, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to the potlets this week, and I've really enjoyed oh, yeah, James's... because you refuse to come on them. Because I've refused to come on, but it's been lovely. I've listened to... Uh, like two in a row every two days or something, which I, I've quite can't, enjoyed. Can't like can't
2: squeeze like, f- like half an one. hour into his busy schedule to
1: listen <laughs> every morning. Unbelievable. But, they, but I've enjoyed your kind of scene setting things, James, as well. It sounds like you're having a lovely time. I'm glad you liked Simone Mathieu. I've been, yeah, kind of been occasionally bad. talking back to you both when I've been listening and then realising I'm not actually involved in the call. <laughs> um, so I'm glad to be here <laughs> to kind of say things today.
2: That is uh, exceptional. Right, let's get on with some tennis, shall we? Um, I don't really know where the best place to start is because we're going to try and go over four or five days of tennis. Maybe we look at the big players who've gone out over the last four or five days. Team, Ons Jabeur, Naomi Osaka, Barbara Kojikova, Joe Wilfrid-Songa, Bianca Andrescu, Stan Wawrinka, Maria Sakari, Simona Halep, Carolina Piskova. That is the list of players we've lost. Uh, seven of the top 10 WTA seeds have gone, albeit 11 to 20, I think, are almost entirely intact. Um, I, maybe let's start with Dominic Team, because I think that's probably the one we're all...
0: You didn't include um, Radicanu there as well. Did I hear totally
2: Muguruza either? Oh, for goodness sake. And say. Halep? No, I did Halep. say Halap. You did say Halep, but I misheard. Halep. Sorry, George. We've been doing these podcasts quite a while. You maybe just not quite up to speed. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty uh, often. Either the way, there's an enormous amount of them. Uh, as you say, Muguruza out in the first round as well. Emma Raducanu. I don't know. I, maybe because that wasn't a shock to me because uh, Sasnovich is basically the world number 25 and Raducanu isn't. But anyway, that's for yesterday's podlet. If you haven't listened, please go and listen. Um, Dominic team out in the first round. 11 defeats in a row, George. It's starting to get painful, isn't it?
1: yeah well, especially I mean, for you
2: because you thought you were gonna win it
1: well i have to i have to finally admit that he wasn't ready to win the french open i suppose um he, t- tough draw to be fair hugo delian um he's a pretty uh gritty bolivian isn't he um
2: the word you're looking for is pusher
0: that's yeah, tough, I mean tough draw. What would have been a decent draw?
1: I, I think I think uh, that, that is framed in the context of it. Any any draw is a tough draw for team at the minute. Um look I, I I feel for team, and I think he said he's kind of dropping down to challenges, hasn't he? For a bit now. I'm gonna try and go get some form back. Uh that's not been uncommon with guys like Nishikori, Murray, um, over the last couple of years. Kavrinka as well. Um but it, it it feels almost worse to me than many of those, just because, it, you know, team is a little bit younger than those guys. He kind of felt like he was right on top of the world. I, I, was, I was having this conversation of, you know, you've been talking about my kind of social life this week, James. I've actually gone out with uh, three different tennis fans this week and had a wide range of tennis uh, conversations to kind of uh, fill the void in my life. Um, and we were talking a little bit about team. I've completely lost where I was going to go with that. Now. <laughs> good, you're in good top form, George. I have to say, you you brought What's so much to this pod. Calvin, are you worried
2: that we're never going to see Dominic team properly on the tennis court ever again?
0: Um, I I think there's a fair chance that we won't. I think there's a fair chance that at the top level, he may be done in terms of winning slams and even even in the top ten. I'd now be, I'd now be at the stage where I'd say I'd be surprised if he gets back into the top ten in the world.
2: Mm. I think the problem is and you know, when we talk about Dominic team, we always just talk about his backhand just because it's very pretty, you know. It's a very good-looking stroke. But actually, the reality is, at his best, he had one of the best forehands in the world. Like, it it was an incredible weapon. And because of this wrist injury, he's had to completely change the way he hits it. And it's not a weapon anymore. Um, And, uh, you know, when you take away a player's biggest weapon, what have they got left? Like, not very much.
0: Yeah, I think he's similar to um, Stan Wawrinka in that front. They're, they're similar players, actually, aren't, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, in that everybody talked about his backhand, but I think there was some stat that for for every backhand winner that Wawrinka hits, he hits seven forehand winners. Right. Um, so you know, it's it's nowhere near comparison, and I think teams the same. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I don't see the thing with his forehand was its heaviness, how hard he could hit it with the spin that he hit as well. And with with a change of grip that he's had to put in there, which I find strange because his original injury was nothing to do with his wrist. was It It was a foot injury.
1: Yeah. Why why he
0: stopped, but he's never going to get that heaviness with the grip he's got now. I've recollected
1: my thoughts and remembered where I was going. Um, There's a bit of a weird curse for guys who kind of end the year as like the main challenger to the top two over like the last six years. I was kind of just thinking about this this week, you know, like, Team he'd won the U.S. Open looked really strong. You would probably say he's the best guy outside of Rafa and Novak. Just drops off a cliff. It's happened to guys like Ryanich. It's happened to you know Dimitrov. Finished uh, one year world number three after winning the ATP Finals. I think there's like a weird curse going on over the last six years of like guys who suddenly finish at three and then just collapse.
2: I have a slightly stronger theory than your tin hat, which I'm assuming. I <laughs> I was just waiting for the. Isn't this a conspiracy? Um, but I think it's because after the U.S. Open, more often than not, unless there's something real you know, unless there's a tight race for one, you see a lot of guys just bin it for the season. You know, how often does Rafa Nadal play? How many tournaments does Rafa Nadal play after the U.S. Open, if any? You know, similarly, Federer or Djokovic, some years has taken. You know, there's 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 the Sha- what is it? The Shanghai Masters was always in that slot. And then the Paris Masters. I mean, like you know, there there have been some weird winners of Paris Bercy because a lot of guys don't play it. Jack Sock won the Paris Masters. Need I remind you?
1: But, it, he... but but I'm not talking just about kind of an end of season four. I mean, literally finishing world number three and like kind of feeling like a massive challenger at the top. Like I mean, Ryanich always sticks out in my mind. Like I remember watching him back end of that year he was was comfortably the third best player in the world he'd been to the final of Wimbledon and he's played some great matches against Novak and Murray in that year that then Murray and Novak finished the tournament playing for world number one you know he was fantastic he was pushing them to some of the longest matches in like ATP finals history and then just gone literally he's never come anywhere close to that again and I don't know it feels weird that team's going to go Potentially in that direction. I think he's way better a player than Ryanich, Don't get me wrong, but you know there there are players who just seem to finish a year strong, become world number three, and then like just like the the exertion to get there, then just kind of kills them. And the, the only constant that remains is Novak and Rafa just at the top.
0: I I think I think Ranish is a bit different because I've said before on the pod that Raonic falls into that category of exceptionally tall guys who play explosive sports in an explosive way they tend not to have long careers it's not conducive to being able to do that they will get injured sooner or later because of that um del potro and roundage is obviously the same um the guys who are tall and don't play so explosive they tend to last a bit longer um but yeah that's that's one thing on that i think with team I'd say teams a bit similar to another guy who, who put everything in and got to world number one. He's similar to Murray in that the, they just put their bodies through so much in order to at different stages. So teams, obviously, as we as is well discussed, he's he's just played too much tennis. Hmm. He's burnt out. I think that's that's fair to say. He's burnt out later than what you normally associate with burnout, but his body has just broken down through years and years of just playing way too much. Tennis mm. and Murray kind of did the same, didn't he? It's it's kind of considered that Murray just went hell for leather at the end of that year. Was it, it 2016?
2: Was he start yeah to end of 2016. He added all these tournaments to his schedule because he recognised the opportunity to pip Djokovic to end of year number one. And he just yeah he threw all his eggs into one basket. And I've absolutely no doubt that that's why we are where we are today with Murray.
0: Yeah, and I wonder. I wonder if you spoke to him whether he would take that.
2: A hundred percent, no. Do you
0: 100? not think? I, I so really he don't. Not, he might not ever have been world number one.
1: I think that was massive <laughs> for him at the time. I mean, that's yeah. a really big achievement. You know, we've spoken about that and winning slams, etc. I think if he'd not got to world number one.
2: Oh, sorry. As in, he, he would be happy with the decisions that he made.
0: Yeah. Would, would, if he could go back again, would he play the same tournaments to guarantee? Even, even say it this way, if you took him down and said sort of miracle question. Yeah. If you could go back and play the same schedule and get to world number one, or you'd, you'd now be fit, but you'd never get to world number one.
2: Yeah, it's t- I think that's tough. I, I just think knowing Murray, if you, I, I know for a fact that he wouldn't like question the stuff that he did in the past that much. I think yeah, yeah. he would back his own decision because he's stubborn like that. But yeah, it's difficult
0: question, isn't it's it? It's weird, though, because he didn't actually break down at the start. of it. The- it's not like he did that and then he was in pieces he no. the year after that he he played until wimbledon was the wimbledon match against query that that, well, that him, was, wasn't it
2: but if you it was, remember yeah, the problem was in the french i think didn't he against we did well against with
0: yeah the
2: whole the whole of the build-up to that wimbledon was dominated by is andy murray gonna play like we had people like standing on yeah. leathers and peering over fences to watch him practice to find out if he was fit or not like it was crazy yeah. and and yeah, the, start the start the
1: year the start of the year was awful as well. I mean, and I think we—that you know, that's almost been consigned to history, that he was like the worst ever kind of statistical world number one for ages, which kind of felt like didn't totally he do decent, unfair. He did,
0: he did decent at the Aussie, didn't he? He lost, like, fourth round to Misha Zverev, right? Oh, was that that year? Okay.
1: Yeah. He was, like, statistically, I think, the worst okay. ever world number one um, I'll, I'll run for you a through long the period. start
2: to his 2017. He won the title in Doha. Sorry, he lost in the final in Doha. It's a he, yeah, lost to Misha Zverev in the fourth round, as you quite rightly say. He then won the title in Dubai um, and then kind of had a sort of fairly standard clay Season where he had a decent run at Barcelona but didn't go very far in or else, and then, and then, as you say, the semi final against Stan in, in Roland Garros, and then he lost to Jordan Thompson at Queen's. So the writing was on the wall, unfortunately. Um, let's move on because we've got lots of other exits. Uh, we're going to spend the whole of the first half of this podcast talking about what's gone on over the last five days, and then we'll look at some draws and, and talk about what, what might be coming up. Um, Ons Jabur, Calvin, and I talked about quite extensively when it happened but she obviously went out in the first round George you did semi-predict uh, this result um, where is Ons Jabur? and and we can talk about Maria Sakkari at the same time she lost in two tight sets to Karolina Makova uh, I would kind of characterise those results both similarly because they are both sort of slightly tricky clay court opponents but if Ons Jabur and Maria Sakkari want to be the players we think they are they have to win those matches
1: I, I think it's a little harsher on Sakkari to be honest, I really rate Makova. I think she's a really good player. Um, I think she's, she is capable of being a top 10 player. Um, I don't think Magna Lynette is. I did kind of feel that might be an awkward match. Um, You know, I, I know we kind of joke about me kind of sitting on the fence all the time. I do like to cover all bases. So I, I picked her in fantasy, but also did say she might lose first two rounds. So I, I can't claim it was my greatest prediction. But yeah, I mean, it's just someone you don't really want to see first round of the French either but yeah I was I was disappointed for Dubois to be honest because um it felt like she was coming in with such great momentum obviously having reached the finals of those two events um Zachary, I d- didn't feel quite had the form to necessarily go on and win this title but equally that said you're kind of hoping her experience would kind of come through and uh, a two sets lost in Mukova where it's come down to two tie breaks isn't like a terrible result. I'm not looking at that like that's a damning result for Zachariah. I think that's a, a hard draw against a player who's kind of coming back and rises up. So yeah, a bit disappointing from the from the women's side of things. But as we'll come on to later with their draw, like that actually there's quite a lot of I, I'm actually still very interested in the bottom half of the draw. I think there's suddenly some of the players who I really wanted to get there are potentially gonna have a breakthrough slam. Um so people like Coco Goff still kicking around could could do some damage. So yeah, I'm not not too worried about the women's draw, despite the sadness for Jabor, who deserved better to be honest, after such a great play season.
2: Mm. Um we also lost Barbara Kujikova, which we mentioned. Um she has actually interestingly, albeit I mean, I don't know if interesting is the right word, she has pulled out the doubles now because she has tested positive for COVID. You'll remember that Krajikova said she hit a wall physically, and we all kind of went, well, yeah, love, you haven't played for three months. Like, of course you have. But I suspect that now we're looking at, you know, she was actually probably feeling the effects of COVID at the time um, and has, as I say, now tested positive and pulled out. Uh, we also lost Bianca Drescu uh, from the women's draw. She, I mean, she was pretty heavily beaten by Belinda Bencic, who, in fairness, has, has been playing well and, and is playing well on clay. Um, Calvin, I know you were pretty impressed with how Bianca Andreescu is looking now. Has that defeat to Bian- um, Belinda Bencic changed your thoughts on how far she can go at the moment?
0: No, I don't think so. I think it's more of a, a mindset thing with Andreescu. If she stays in the same mindset, I think she'll be competing. At, um, we don't really know how well she plays on grass, do we? Um, but I don't see any reason why she shouldn't be good on grass. Um, so I think she'll be decent competing there, and we know what she can do at the US Open, so if she stays in the same mindset, um, I would expect that she'll be very competitive going forward.
2: George Bianca on grass?
1: Yeah, I did a column with her before last Wimbledon, I think, possibly the last WTA ghost Run column I did, maybe. Mm. Anyway, um, and she, I, I think I'm right in saying she's never won a match at Wimbledon, unless she did win one last year. But she's certainly never gone very far. No,
2: she's played twice uh, and lost in the first round in 2017 and 2021. Elise Corne, she lost to last year, and in yeah, that the was only a good match actually. appearance, she lost to Christina kukova
1: I think we went to go and watch that court day match, James. You I and I we went to did. sit on court,
2: mm. on court number two, which is of course How my favourite court.
1: 11am start. That's my second favourite. Hour point, in actually,
2: the day. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, we hope to see more of Bianca Andreescu, nevertheless. Um, from today, we lost uh, Karolina Pliskova. She, I mean, she lost two and two. She did not look herself on any level. But she lost to Leolia Jeanjean, who is a 26-year-old French wildcard with quite an amazing story. She was kind of anointed as the queen of the new queen of French tennis when she was a kid. Um, the FFT gave her a full-time coach at 12. She had a 10-year contract with Nike, or Nike, or kneecare. Um, and then she had a massive knee injury. Um, she, she didn't play a professional tennis match for five years. Uh, she went to a college in America to do her studies. Um, it was there that she started playing a bit of tennis again. She studied finance. She said she went over, she put on a lot of weight, and then she got back into tennis and it sort of helped um and she was basically just grinding for a ranking and she i think she was still ranked outside the top thousand when the pandemic started and then she was doing like a minimum wage job in the pandemic and then pretty much 2021 you know went from no ranking to about 300 uh won a 60k or a 25k a couple of weeks ago um and then got a wild card into wimbledon uh, when the french open and here she is. She she won in the first round, and she's now into the third round. And it was amazing to listen to her impress afterwards. She was really sniffly, and I wondered if she was ill. But she said, "No, I just had a really big cry," um, which you know is understandable because you know she was saying stuff like, "This means I can get a coach. Like I can go to tournaments further away because she's just won 150 grand essentially." Um, You know, Calvin, you you know a lot of players at kind of that level where, you know, life is hard. I I can only imagine what, you know, a run like that, which is a dream run, what a difference that makes to someone's career.
0: It's a game changer. And and like you said, the main difference is you can have a coach, but also you can play the tournaments that you really want to play. Mm. And I I think that I've experienced a lot over the last few years with players where you'll see, it's easy to say this place should be ranked higher and that kind of thing, but if you can have a schedule and you can choose any of the tournaments that you want to play anywhere in the world for as long as you want, and you're not under pressure to be... I mean, I, I coached a very talented player a few years ago, and he, it was only when I spoke to him after I'd stopped working with him just this year, actually, that he said that he just... Because we didn't have much money, he didn't have much money to work with, that every time he went away on... He could only afford a two-week trip or something like that that there was so much pressure on him to do well in those two weeks. Whereas other players with, with, with if you've got the money that you know you can plan for a whole year, those two weeks are not as important. It's not heaped upon you so much. So yeah, it, it's a game changer. I actually, I'd, I'd completely forgot about John John. Um, I remember her from when she was younger and I think a mate of mine might have interviewed her on a now defunct podcast um, a couple of years ago and um, and it was quite an interesting interview but if it's the one i think it is i'll I'll try and find it and maybe post a link or something
1: um I was, I was just gonna say i'm sure we'll come on to this a bit later but this this is again the sort of run that we're talking about being majorly missed at wimbledon next year in terms of what an impact it could have on their career like obviously the money's one side of thing but she's going to jump about 120 rankings just so far i mean that's a really horrible thing you know imagine doing that at Wimbledon and then just suddenly not having that massive career step um so yeah I just thought
2: but but it's also relevant that like the main thing she talked about was the cash like yeah yeah she I mean I I said to her she was kind enough to do some questions in English after the many many questions in French as you can imagine and um I said to her I think you're up to 149 in the world now so like see you at Wimbledon Qualies and she kind of hadn't necessarily quite realised that that's what it meant and she was like yeah I'll definitely be there (laughs) like that there was no question for her that the lack of ranking points is going to make a blind bit of difference to to playing Wimbledon Qualies where of course I think you get £8,000 for losing in the first round
1: she she can't be far off manger if she wins one more match so exactly
0: I mean, I, I watched quite a bit of the match with Pliskova today and I, I've, I've seen her before, but years ago. But I think one of the things that stands out is you get players, for example, like Caroline Pliskova, who look like they've been trained to play tennis mm. and it's it sort of manufactured. And then you get players every so often who look like they were just born to play. And she's one of those players Yeah, that that you can't go through what she's gone through and and then come back and be that good unless there's some inherent talent within you that you were just born to play the game.
2: I think also it gives you some it gives you something more when you know what the game means to you when you haven't just played tennis all your life you know Andre Rublev for example uh, it strikes me as the ultimate tennis bot like, he has only ever played tennis. He doesn't really know anything else. And, you know, God bless him, like, he, he's pretty open about that to a certain extent. Um, when we we're talking about the politics stuff, he said, look, I really don't know. And I think we all bought that. Um, and, you know, he, he has massive temper tantrums on the court. And she said that she used to get really angry on the court, but and usually does, but has sort of managed to control it this week. And I, I really do think that once you know what tennis means not to have in your life, it changes what it means to have it back in your life again. And I, I think it's something it changes what you do on the court. Yeah, it's
0: an interesting debate. And it's something that, to be honest, I'll be quite open about it, that as a coach, I kind of go through it as well. And it's not always when the results don't go as you want. They can be down moments. But what I often find as well, and I think players do, is that when you win at the end of the week, there's also a bit of emptiness there as well, because that's that's it, yeah. We've won, so what? Hmm. And you know, it's like, like you, it's a strange, empty feeling. And I guess, yeah, if if you if you do have other things like she may have, it's not, you don't get so much of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, Dominic team talked about that after he won the US Open. He said, I, I felt so empty and like everything that went yeah. with that. And I actually don't think that had much of an effect on what happened after that. But um, yeah, nevertheless, uh, something that does happen. Actually, when I spoke to Igor Shontek's performance analyst, she said a lot of people spend a lot of time preparing for what happens when you fail a lot of people don't think about what happens when you succeed and like all the different sort of um kind of mental framework that you need with that so yeah very interesting uh, there's some lovely um moped riders in paris as you can just hear going past my window um gabini muguruza went out early on as well kaya Kanepi, the ultimate giant killer i mean kaya canepi is basically like I'm trying to think who's a really good cup team, like a traditionally great cup team. Bradford City have got a bit of a reputation of being a great cup team, um, but she really is just the ultimate... I honestly think that players... I know players say they don't look at draws, but they must desperately just hope that when eventually they do bother looking at the draw, they go, where's Canepi, where's Canepi? Great, nowhere near me. Because she just keeps on doing it. Albeit, I did kind of predict that Governor Muguruza was... Uh, Ripe.
1: There's some amazing stats around kind of Keneppy's slam record against top 10 players versus her record against top 10 players outside the slams over the last three years. It's, I mean, I can't remember the exact numbers. It's almost like she's won more than she's lost against top 10 players in the slams and only won once against a top 10 player, not in the slams or something like that. I'm sure James can probably
0: find it pretty quickly. In, Confirm, oh, yeah, because those but...
2: parameters aren't like too specific for me
0: to just magically <laughs> Google. I am um, I actually Kai is a strange one because I actually spent my last birthday uh, randomly watching Kai Kineppe play tennis because she had, party. because she had, um, I was in Estonia, a tournament in Estonia, and I think she must have some some deal where cause it was in one of the bigger clubs in Estonia where she agrees to play the 25k despite being in the top 100 in the world. Right. Uh, so I think if you look on your little thing, James, that you will see that Kanepi on the week of 3rd of August last year, she was playing in 25K or even maybe a 15K in Estonia.
1: <laughs> Remarkable. James, I've, I've done your job. I've found the stat. I've found the stat. Talk to me. So Kanepi versus top 10 players at Grand Slams since Wimbledon 2010, won nine, lost seven. Very yeah. respectable against the top 10 players. Kai Kenefe versus top 10 players outside of Grand Slam since Wimbledon t- 2010, won four, lost 18.
2: <laughs> I mean, why bother? Like, why bother putting in the performances? You know, just save it save it for the big, I love it. For the big stage. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I'm, I'm fully on board for that. And I hope that she doesn't get into the top 32 in the world because that would ruin it and then she'd be <laughs> seeded. I <laughs> desperately need her to remain an unseeded player so we can just, when Wimbledon comes around... We can just go and find Kaya Kneppi's opponent. Um, It's worth mentioning today that Simone Halep went out to, um, and I apologise for pronunciation, Jane Quinn Quinn Wen, um, the talented Chinese player who I know a lot of people have got a lot of time for. Some quite concerning moments in the third set when Halep turned to the umpire and said, can you get the trainer? I'm I'm having trouble breathing. Um, We kind of thought, is this another, maybe someone who's got COVID or she's ill, Um, she came into press well, I thought she might not do press Um, she was then scheduled for 7.45 she wasn't there and then they said delayed, change of time but she came in at 8.45 and she did speak to the media and she clarified that it wasn't illness she didn't have Covid but she was actually having a panic attack um, on court Uh, (laughs) she said I didn't expect it because it was a panic attack it happened and she smiled she said I didn't know how to handle it because I don't have it often I don't really know why it happened, because I was leading the match. I was playing well, but it just happened. As I said, I lost it. I couldn't focus after that. The match was pretty tough, but now I'm good, and I recovered, and I learned from this episode. Not like anything dangerous, in my opinion, but it happened. Um, Pretty amazing um, to have someone... Well, for that to happen, I mean, mean, not amazing. It's obviously anyone who's ever had a panic panic attack knows it's absolutely terrifying to lose control of your body like that. But, um, I mean, George, it's amazing that she can... It can happen, and then she can just talk about it, at least.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I th- it must, must be, She did quite well to complete, complete the match, to be honest. I mean, quite often people who have them... It's, it's clearly something she's had before and kind of had experience of and kind of was able to keep herself together. Um, because, you know, if that was happening for the first time, you can imagine that being absolutely terrifying, and you probably yeah. retire straight away um because like what on earth is happening to my body yeah it's uh, supposed to be an incredibly kind of debilitating thing um i'm, I'm watching the sopranos at the minute uh for example <laughs> uh which i know is obviously a fictional program but that that features a lot of panic attacks i know calvin they, sure. the, they have a thing they
2: have they have a thing at the end where it's like if you've been affected by any of the issues <laughs> in this, this deeply <laughs> violent and brutal show then please just deal with it because we're italian americans and we don't really do talking about feelings um yeah, it's anyway, I mean, obviously, like, all the best to Simona Halep and, you know, I'm glad to hear that she's feeling okay and that she's she's had a chance to, to calm down and get a heart round control and the doctors had, you know, checked her over and made sure everything was fine. Um, coming up next, we'll talk a bit more about the upcoming third and fourth round. Uh, we'll look at how the Brits got on as well. And we will answer the question, why wasn't Irina Camellia bagu disqualified?
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: So, uh, we are down to one Brit standing, which I have to say, for Thursday night at the French Open probably isn't a bad result. Uh, Dan Evans, in the last couple of minutes, or well, last a couple of hours I suppose, uh, was beaten by Mikael Imer, the Swede in four sets, um, he dropped serve. He lost five of the first six games, but then did rally. But still lost the first set. Then won the second. know uh, took the third, and then Evans was a break up in the fourth set. But then lost five games on the spin once again um, to drop the match in four sets. Uh, he explained afterwards that he'd been he's had a chest infection since about last Tuesday. I mean, he was very ill on the court. It actually made me feel quite ill because he was, you know, he he said after he said you don't want to be spitting on the court, but like you know he was obviously like extremely phlegmy and he was coughing his guts up and yeah overall it was pretty unpleasant um and credit to him it was a long match i mean i I haven't got the exact timing in front of me but it was a four set match and you know there were several games over 10 minutes it was it was hard work to say the least four sets took three hours 23 minutes almost all of them basically went past 50 minutes so you know credit where credit's due he um he didn't half-battle. Uh, Calvin, you, you said as soon as it happened that it was you know disappointing for him. It's obviously gutting to get ill at any tournament, but he, he did say better here than at Wimbledon.
0: Uh, yeah, I didn't know he was ill, actually, because I only have Eurosport, and uh, they chose to not show any of it. Um, Incredibly. So, um, yeah, so I, d- I didn't know he was ill. I was just following on live score, um, and there was a lot of breaks to serve in it i think he might have been a breakup in the second in the third set as well
2: yes when yes, he lost 6-2 right,
0: um but uh yeah it's a shame for forever but um yeah like i said i, I think anything he got the french would have been a bonus um it'd be i think
2: the frustration is he he has i mean and this still amazes me this stat: he has never won a match at the french open before and then he plumped through first round in straight sets and you know this was 70 percent ever at best he shouldn't he could have should have beaten him alright he probably would have lost a city pass in the third round but yeah that's a lot of points and a lot of cash you know for a guy who doesn't think he can play on clay
0: yeah um and especially on the point situation because we know what's coming in a few weeks and yeah. he made fourth round last time yeah uh, last last year i think so yeah he'll um he said he's going to play nottingham challenger didn't he so mm. that nottingham tends to Turn into almost like an ATP 250 at this stage, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
1: The way the way Cisipas is playing, there's no guarantee. Wouldn't have given him a good game there. Fit the minute. Well, He's similarly, Mikel hard him, for
2: frankly. I mean, <laughs> you know, Tita um, not not doing the job of cruising through the early rounds. Unlike Cameron Norrie, who pretty much just. I mean, as Calvin said, the other day, there's there's no such thing as an easy Cam Norrie win because of the way he plays, but he hasn't dropped a set. He hasn't been pushed to a tie-break. I think he's only lost 17 games so far, um, so that's a positive for him. Uh, we obviously lost Emma Raducanu to Aleksandr Sasnovich uh, in the second round. Watson and Dart out comfortably in round one. Um, I sort of think if we were to do a report card for the Brits, assuming that Norrie gets to the fourth round and loses to Alcaraz... Um, That's I've, a big uh, assumption.
1: Well, <laughs> Is isn't it? it? I he probably he, I'd give him a fifty-five to sixty percent favorite rating for that match. I still think Hachov a good player, right. I and mean, it's not. It's certainly not a like yeah. a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite. Well, for that match, okay, but
2: you know, t- say he gets to the third and a half round. I mean, <laughs> what do we, what do we rate the British effort at the French Open out of ten, George?
1: Um. Yeah. compared okay. to expectations compared to expectations. i mean, I expectations, would... I mean I, I, yeah i ca- we kind of picked out Saznovic might be a, a player radakani loses to but she's good enough to have reached the fourth round here so you know i'd give her a c to be honest um, a c out of 10 yeah fair c, enough mate so oh did we go for a 10 <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's a c equate to i don't know uh, is that a half? four or five? Oh, oh, right oh, okay. okay a five a five I always think when
2: I'm doing player ratings in football six is like straight like six
1: is just okay I think slightly below six then I'd say five 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 for Raducanu but no but
2: if you were to give the Brits as a whole like the British contingent I'm
1: giving you my average across and rating each one George it's an hour long podcast yeah 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 I mean it's still about a five or a six isn't it I mean it depends on how well Norrie does but Britain the second week of the French Open is typically about as good as it's going to get when you're without Andy Murray
2: (laughs) Ah, oh, our Andy, yeah. Um, let's move on. I mean, let's not forget, the doubles guys are, you know, legitimate threats all round. I mean, Neil Skupski yeah. and Wes Kuloff have looked incredibly comfortable um, and have a very decent chance. Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram only played one match, but they obviously won in, in straight sets because they're just elite. So, you know,
0: there are chances of titles. And um, sure. Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Helivara beat the two-time winners.
2: Yeah, I saw that. I saw the draw and I thought, oh, hello, Kravitz and Mies, like not an easy draw there. And yeah, they, they beat them 6-4, 6-2, so who knows? I think they've won it
0: twice, haven't they, Kravitz and Mies. Uh
2: Does he not usually play with Puts or have I made that up?
0: No, that was because Mies was injured. Ah, uh, I
1: see. Um, in which case I could say yes. George? I think, I think Marion Suarez won comfortably first round as well, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they absolutely One did. I, two.
2: I actually and sp- I actually spoke to Bruno Suarez after that, so I really should remember, but um, we, we weren't really talking about tennis, to be honest. <laughs> we were talking about how much he hates being on the Players' Council, mostly, because he's been on it for eight years, and the last three years have been absolute hell. So he's, Last he, three? That, yeah. That's
1: limiting it. I think well, probably exactly. last f- <laughs> five or six.
2: He, say, he says he is done, to say the least. Um, but there's a lot to be said about that but we don't have time um let's start looking forward shall we um we have a full set of third round matches because out of nowhere (laughs) yelena rostopenko just lost to elise Corne, um which is a real shame because i was quite looking forward to uh yelena rostopenko against igas shontek because shontek has never beaten yelena rostopenko in three meetings and now we're not going to get that. And Shontek isn't going to face a seeded player potentially until, well, uh, guaranteed until the quarterfinal and perhaps even later. Um, so the women's draw certainly is opening up. Shontek has played four sets. She has lost four games. She is on fire. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. I don't think we've learnt anything about her from those matches. So I'm actually not even going to offer my fellow podcasters, the chance to talk about you, get I'm guaranteed George will crowbar her into an answer later, but I don't want to hear it. Um, of Nadal and Djokovic, Calvin, which which do you think has had the more impressive start? There were question marks over both of them coming in, albeit larger ones over Rafa. Um, which of them do you feel more comfortable with now?
0: I don't think you can say which of them you would feel more comfortable with because they've both breezed through comfortably. Mm. But I think what I would say is there were more questions about Nadal yeah. than there was about Djokovic. And I think he's, so far, he's answered them very strongly.
2: Mm. I mean, it's been a good draw. He's obviously faced Jordan Thompson and quarantine Mutet. Uh, he's now got Botik van der Zanschulp in the uh, third round. Jo- George, are you still quite happy that, that Nadal is fit and firing and ready to compete at the highest level when inevitably he faces Djokovic in the quarterfinal?
1: Um you know, that's going to be acid test. I, I think the thing is at the minute is even if a top level Nadal turns up against a top level Djokovic, there's no guarantee he's going to win that match. I mean, Djokovic is playing really good stuff. I've watched a little bit of his match with Molchan, um, who, by the way, Mol he's Chan, a Molchan. I'm reliable. Molchan. Um, you know, he, he's actually a really nice player, got a lot about him, um, coached by Vider as well. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, he he just looks sharper every single match I watch of him Novak at the minute, and you can just see him dialing and dialing and dialing in. Um, so, yeah, I'm I wouldn't say I'm confident he'll win the tournament, but I'm having watched everyone else so
0: far, I think he's still the man to beat. I think what I'll say on Nadal um, was that he when I say he's answered positively, uh, his problem is as the tournament goes on. I don't think it's a case, right, he's fit in the first two rounds, so we're all good to go. I think it's more how long can he maintain without his injury becoming a problem. It's his foot, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And
1: and he, he's not hiding from the fact it's a problem. It's about yeah how it feels on a given day. And if it you know, if it's if it's even lingering there as a doubt and he's got to play a fully fit, fully firing Djokovic, you can pretty much imagine Djokovic will pull that foot injury out of him. Um, if it if it's not resolved, which it's probably not going to be, so well, it's not, yeah, I think it? Jok- it's
2: a genetic it's a degenerative <laughs> It's
1: not going anywhere. So, going anywhere. <laughs> so yeah, look, I, I, I'm still pretty comfortable with Djokovic as, as the man to beat. Mm.
2: Um, he's got uh, Aliash Bedene in the next round, followed by either Dimitrov or Schwartzman, which I have to say feels like pretty much the perfect draw for him.
1: Um, Sch- Sch- Schwartzman is one of those players who can drag you to a, a bit of an awkward fourth or f- fifth set here. Oh yeah, um, you don't need to tell Jaime Muñar
2: who he beat in the previous <laughs> round in five sets. I mean, I feel like Schwartzman is. I would like to bet on him going to five sets in the first three rounds of every Grand Slam. Um, he, I should point out, he hasn't taken a set he, in their five previous meetings. He has only twice taken a set or more off Djokovic. Um, they went to five in the French five years ago and he got a set off him in Rome three years ago. But their three previous meetings have been incredibly one-sided, So I, even if he gets there. Um, Nadal, as I mentioned, faces van der Zanschloep and then either Felix Auger-Aliassime or Philippe Krenovic. Um Felix Auger-Aliassime, by the way, played one of the worst opening matches I've ever seen. It was um, dreadful,
1: wasn't it? I, I mean, because it was not only how bad it was. him
2: playing badly, it was also bad to watch. It was five sets. He was awful for two sets against Varias, the Peruvian. He uh, then won the next three sets, one, three, and three. And it was just like, this is an enormous waste of everyone's time.
1: We sort of mentioned this off air before we started, but that has been a kind of recurring theme of a lot of the men's matches this time, where, you know, Sissip has of just played dreadfully for a while and then suddenly lock themselves in and kind of get all the way. Okay, you know, the Zverev match and even Alcaraz's match, which wasn't quite the same against Ramos last had its kind of tense moments in the fifth. But it's yeah, there's not been too many matches I've watched where two players have caught fire throughout. And it's been mm. a bit of really, really good high-level contest. But mm. I'm w- willing to hear answers from our listeners if I've missed such matches so far. Well,
2: it is possible. There are a hell of a lot of matches. Um, <laughs> I mean, for example, I was following vaguely the Ugo Umber-Emil Roussevori match, which was five sets and pretty ding-dong. I think you know it went Roussevori 1-1, then Umber 1-2, and then Roussevori 1-2. Um, and they're both players I really enjoy watching, and had it not been the first round of a slam, and therefore the busiest day of the year, I probably would have gone and watched it, but I couldn't. Um, Yeah, Stefano Sissipas dropped first two sets to um, Lorenzo Mazzetti, he has just finished in the last couple of minutes, and beaten um, the Czech qualifier, who I put to Calvin yesterday in the assumption that he might know who he was, and he didn't, um, but that, that was a wasn't...
1: highlight of the bottle that's rare <laughs> Calvin got nothing to say. <laughs> uh, Zdenek
2: Kolar uh, he did take a set off pass and he did have uh, a big lead in the fourth set tiebreak um, but unfortunately couldn't convert it to take that match to five. Um, I think he had a 6-3 lead in the fourth set tiebreak and pass won the next six points to take the match. George?
1: I think, yeah if we if we're kind of analysing the draw at the minute, both men's and women's, I think the, the big question is who's going to take advantage of these wide open bottom halves. And you know, before the tournament, we'd have been sitting here saying, Cisapas is definitely the guy who's going to kind of come through this bottom half. But if you're guys like Rude, even Medvedev, Kesmanovich, um Sinner, even, you, you've got to be really fancying your chances of getting to the final of this thing. He he looks. Totally out of store, Sissapas. Like, mm. he, he's dialed in slightly against Massetti, but Calvin was saying yesterday, Massetti just mentally went from that match. Um, but yeah, I, I've been really unimpressed with Sissapas so far. I think people have fancied their chances on that side. I've,
0: I've, I have i have have not watched them both the last few days. I think Medvedev's going to make the final from that half now. I'd make him favorite over City Just because, still- I mean, he has, he's got his number as well in general. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, Daniel Medvedev has beaten Facundo Bagnis and Lazlo Gere all in straight sets and really not even with a tie break, you know, just cruising. Um, he's got Maimir Ketmanovic in the next round. I think round that'll game. be a good
1: match. I think that'll be, be a, a real test of where Medvedev's at. I, I'm yeah. not as convinced as Calvin that Medvedev's definitely there. Um, you know, I think he's had a good draw first two rounds. I think mm. this, if he comes through that, then yeah, I'll be on. I'll be with Calvin that I think Medvedev's probably the favourite to get to the final from there.
2: Um, he'll face either Gilles Simon, who just doesn't want to retire, uh, or Marin Cilic in the uh, fourth round, assuming he gets through Um Further up the draw, just the next section up, is Rublev against Garin and Mackenzie McDonald against Yannick Sinner. I think Rublev is vulnerable there. Um, yeah. He dropped a set to Quan and to Delbonis. He absolutely lost his mind in both matches in various ways. He actually apologised um, he smashed a ball into his bench which then rebounded and knocked the, uh, the lad who was dragging the court's hat off um, and he said afterwards it was unprofessional, it was unacceptable and I hope it never happens again. Um, he then broke all sorts of rackets against Bonis. there were <laughs> countless ball abuse code violations. Uh, I think Garen as a clay court specialist and a man who's doing very well for my fantasy team uh, has a real shot there.
1: Yeah definitely, it's going to be a a tough match. I mean, it's funny how much Rublev's losing his head in that match with Del Bono. I mean, the scoreline, you look at it, it's like 6-3, 3-6, 6-2, 6-3. That, that's not really a match that really warrants you to completely go bananas, if you like. Um, but I was just going to say, I think we keep talking a little bit about Sinner and whether he's really ready to kind of take that next step up. Th- this is a four he's got to come through, I think. Like, he's very capable on play. He should beat Mackenzie McDonald. Rublev's out of form, Garen's a good clay court player but he's got the power to hit through him. Um and then, you know, if it is Medvedev in the quarterfinals, Medvedev's not as comfortable on clay as the top guys. Sinner's got to be going into that match believing I've got a great shot here. And if he can mm. somehow get through that, then who knows?
2: Uh yeah, Stefanos Tsitsipas is likely quarterfinal opponent um, based on seedings and my gut is is Casper Ruud. Um, David Goffan,
1: surely. Part uh, of team. Uh, David flying. Goffin's got
2: Hubert to deal with first, who I think is a very tough customer. Caspero um, is not someone I think lots of people know lots about. Calvin. Um, he works for Eurosport on the telly during most tournaments, which I find quite unusual. But um, he's he beat uh, Emil Ruusuvori, by the way, in the um, all use match up uh, in straight sets as well, relatively comfortably. He must. I mean. Is he someone who could beat... Like, if you were to match up City Pass and Rude today, would you give him a decent chance?
0: In general, no. I'd give him more of a chance at the minute because City... I say City Pass is playing not great, but when it matters, he's playing really well. Mm. Like, when it when it's really got to the crux, he started, he's he's playing good. I mean, I watched the end of... I I didn't see the whole of the match today, but I got in at the end of it, just when... I think I got in when... Uh, Colai was six three up in the mm. tiebreak, and from that point, Pass played well. He came yeah. through it, and I'd still make him favourite over Rude. To be fair, Rude's a solid player, but um, you say he works for Eurosport. Does he commentate?
2: I think he does sort of punditry stuff. He's, they're always plugging him quite hard. Um, right. I think on his days off, he just zooms in, or, or maybe even comes on site and does a bit of just punditry. I mean, I guess why not? It's something different. It's you know, change of pace.
0: Kinda like what Ronnie O'Sullivan does with the snooker. <laughs>
1: <Bye>. <laughs> he commentates on his own matches, Ronnie O'Sullivan.
0: Yeah,
1: true. I mean, making the dangerous assumption, Cephas is, is going to be Ema, regardless of how badly or well he is playing. I mean, I'd be quite quite keen to see him against Gaston in the next round if Gaston can come through. Rune, I mean, Rune had a little bit of an injury problem, didn't he? But I think Gaston's wonderful. Fine. He pulled out. He pulled out doubles, didn't he? So, I guess it's. Uh... We'll see how he goes, but I mean, Gaston's a wonderful player to watch. I I really love watching him. He's got one of the most uh, fantastic drop shots, and the French crowd behind him, are, they always just get so up for it. So I think that that'll be a really interesting match. I mean, he's still back Sissipass, but that that'll be a, a bloody entertaining match if you get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I caught his win over Dimonor, which the the tiebreak in that just was electric. the 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 crowd was amazing. That that probably is the best part of a match I've watched so far to be
2: fair I have to say it's been such it's so important for the tournament that the French do well um, and I, you know I, I, we joke about French tennis a lot but it has made things so much buzzier that Hugo Gaston through to the third round that you know Jean-Jean's picking up wins that I know Joe Cornet from, exactly Elise Cornet now into the third round having beaten Yelena Ostapenko and frankly has a really good draw and probably probably should or could get through Gilles
1: Simon she will seem on
2: the man who doesn't want to retire. Yeah, I, it, it has made Roland Garros more exciting, and we're forgetting about Diane Parry, by oh, the way, who knocked out the like champion and then beat Camellia Soria She got Sloane Stevens in the next round, and I'm not writing off Diane Parry in the third round there uh, to, to mean that we might end up with like a grand slam quarterfinal that is Diane Parry against Kaia Kanepi, which I'm here for, quite frankly, entirely. But uh, yeah, who knows? um we, we george sorry you had something to say i was
1: gonna just just ask you both so if you're if you're talking your men's quarterfinals right now presumably we're all going Djokovic nadal yeah alcaraz zverev
2: um yes i i would like to think zverev's got a loss in him but he's playing brandon nakashima and then either draw or is nor draws good isn't it it's i mean morales and it's like uh, I love Bernabeu's Batamorales, but I think Bean's aware of.
1: Probably Alcaraz is more vulnerable against Corda. I mean, uh, I'd still yeah. expect him to come through.
2: Yeah, probably. And then bottom half, I mean, I struggle to see Rude losing to Sonego or Goffin slash Hercats. And I, much as I think City Pass isn't playing very well, I think Calvin's right there in the clutch moments. And then Sinem Medvedev, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, that'd be a pretty good lineup if we get that.
2: I think so. Um, the women's it looks less likely, um, just because I know you don't all have the draw in front of you. Uh, Schwantek will be in the quarterfinals. That's, I've actually yep. already the tournament have already confirmed that. Um,
1: <laughs> bit, I mean, it, it's astonishing. Like she doesn't need an easy draw anyway at the minute, but she's got a stag- staggering glorious easy one. draw. <laughs> um, Bedoser, yeah. you have to think probably the other, in the next quarter.
2: Uh, well Shontek needs, Shontek needs an opponent in the quarterfinal um, which <laughs> are the... Right. you're
1: actually going to make us guess that Pagula well,
2: yeah so your choices are Pagula uh Irina Kamelia Bagu more on her later and Loelia Jean-Jean
1: I mean I'd love Jean-Jean that would be great I mean, it'd be amazing, for, as a storyline just not
2: going to happen
1: Pagula all jokes aside is, is having a pretty good year I think yeah. I'd see her
2: through um and then, yeah, Badossa, we would expect to come through and then face. Well, you've got a choice of Shelby Rogers, Daria Kasatkina, Kamir Georgie, or Arena Savalenka. I
1: hope so, I hope Savalenka gets there. It'd be nice to start getting some of these guys we know are at the top of the game. But I, I can't we...
2: tell you how badly she played against Packe in the first round. <laughs> like, I, honestly, she was 6 2 down. She lost the first set of 6 2. And I was—I would have put my house on her getting battered for the rest of the match. And, you know, okay, she pulled it out, but it was one of those matches where she just has much bigger weapons. And then she battered Madison Bringle, in fairness, which is, you know, not... It's doable, I suppose. But she's playing Camille Georgie in the third round, and I dread to think what's going to happen there. Um,
1: I, c- I couldn't believe yesterday, you guys, in one of the... Um... Just moving on to the next quarter. When I was hearing you guys saying you thought Kerber was going to reach the quarterfinal of this section, I was screaming. That was the. I, I, I'm the not point. sure I said that. I heard James say it. <laughs> I was like, I swear, like Anna Simova's kicking around in there, and. Yeah, we said Anna Simova, didn't and we? It.
2: I said that Kerber was going to get to the fourth, the quarterfinal, and she will. <laughs> okay, that's a big back. Well, I'm looking at the draw, and I can see that she doesn't play Anna Simova until the quarterfinal.
1: Kerber's oh, playing
2: sasnovic in the third fair round. Fair enough, fair enough. And then enough, either enough. Trevisan or Saville, um, Gavrilova. Fair I enough, I may have, have, may
1: have misunderstood. Yeah. Trevisan could be so.
2: Yeah, okay, if you say so. I, I have I, faith. I have faith I'll, in I'll back,
1: I, That'll be my big prediction this week, Angelina's that Trevisan gets to that slam. quarterfinal.
2: Andre, Angelina's career slam is on. <laughs> um, section six is really where it's at, because the four yeah. players in the third round of section six are Belinda Bencic, Leila Fernandez. Amanda Anisimova and Carolina Makova. I mean, that could be a, that could be a semi-final lineup in a good yes. slam.
1: Yeah, I like I like all four of them. I think Makova's more dangerous than people realise, but it's got to be Anisimova, I think, at the minute on form and the fact I've backed her all year long for my young player of the year. I'm quite, quite interested to, to see Leila on.
2: Fernandez in there, though. You know, she's not someone we think of as a clay court player, or really. Any sort of player, she's she's had real struggles, you know, since since the US Open final. So um, it's quite interesting to see her there. And I think that match against Bencic will be another real kind of proper test of, of where she is. Yeah, yeah, I agree with me. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. What I thought mean. <laughs> um, well, Calvin
0: might go in there. Uh, I'm just watching because in the background here, I've got Eurosport on. And I don't know why that, I'm changing the subject slightly, we come back to it why they do this weird thing with the hologram interviews. Yeah, it's, the cube. It's, yeah, it's so strange. Like It's incredibly odd. Yeah,
2: I, have, anyway. I have no, I have no, I, I don't have an answer. But look, we can't come back to it because I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> like, it's bizarre. Um, and then the bottom sections, you've got a list, one of Grasheva, Elise Mertens, Coco Goff, Kai Kanepi. I think we're all picking Coco Goff there, aren't we?
0: Yeah,
1: Goff or Koneffi, but yeah, I hope Goff. It'd be, it'd be really good for this tournament to have Goff getting into the quarterfinals. That's one of the players I want there she's as a storyline. She's had a, rem- not had a great year, but still would be good.
2: I got reminded of how great she is the other day when there was this horrible shooting in Texas, which people will have heard about and I know won't want to think about, but Coco Goff was so forthright and so measured on it. talking yeah, about She's how she eloquent. Makes- yeah, she's incredibly so important. well. You know, for a kid, like an absolute kid. What is she? Is she eighteen yet? She's just graduated high school. I know that she's indeed eighteen. Um, she's absolutely incredible. So yeah, all all power to her. And then from the bottom section, I've already mentioned it. You've had time to think about it. Diane Parry, Sloane Stephens, Jill Teichman, Victoria Azarenka.
1: I'd say Parry's the fourth seed. Unfortunately, as much as I like her, <laughs> I, th- I think I think Teichman.
2: So my um, my model really likes Tykman. It's always valued Tykman quite highly, Um, and it's why I picked her in fantasy. Because yeah, she's she's got a decent clay court record. She's got some quite good wins on clay. It's her first French Open third round. That's my only slight concern. She she hasn't. I mean, it's her first Grand Slam third round. I think I'm right in saying. Like this is not far off the biggest match of her life, Um, playing Victoria Azarenka who. Has had a lot of matches in her life.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's no, it's never been any great shakes on the clay Azarenka, but she she is coming through, and obviously that experience does count. But I think Tightman's had. I've seen Tightman a few, have a few really Im- impressive runs over the last year or so, and yeah, I, I, I fancy her. I fancy her in that section, unless Stevens just turns it on out of nowhere, which is well,
2: Sloane Stevens is good for the tournament, isn't she? Um, Right, we're going to keep moving on because, I mean, there are loads of things we could talk about um, in terms of background to the tournament. Uh, If you follow me on Twitter, you know there's been a lot of talk about Wimbledon and the spat with the ATP and WTA and everything to do with that. Um, I think we're going to need potentially a whole pod on this after the French Open, so I'm tempted to kind of leave it because there will be many more developments over the next 10 days. I will tell you this, I've spoken to a lot of people today. Involved in both Tours and Wimbledon, and (laughs) there are a lot of very angry people and a lot of people saying the word compromise and not meaning it. Uh, I would be very surprised if we get a compromise at Wimbledon and the the current set of affairs is not the state of affairs when Wimbledon comes around. And I'll leave it at that. Um, We've talked about the PTPA and um, Djokovic and Benoit pair, so um we'll move on to the only thing anyone's talking about today which is Irina Kamelia Bagu. If you haven't seen this, she was playing Ekaterina Alexandrova and she was walking to her chair having had her serve broken and she bounced the she threw the racket towards her chair and it bounced in front of the racket hit a sort of clay trampoline i assume because it was an outrageous bounce and it it leapt over the chair into the crowd and it's unclear what happened, but it appeared to hit a spectator. Potentially a small child. It, it wasn't entirely obvious. Um, <laughs> the statement from the FFT reads as follows. After losing her service game while walking to the player bench, Arena Camellia-Begu threw her racket onto the ground. The racket bounced over the bench into the spectator's area. Yeah, fine. The racket accidentally ended up in the spectator's area where it brushed a young spectator. Brushed. After the initial scare... The spectator turned out to be okay. The Grand Slam supervisor spoke with the parents who were with the child, and the parents confirmed that the child was fine and not injured. According to the procedures, a code violation for unsportsmanlike like conduct was issued. Now, I've read the Grand Slam handbook, and it, there's no clear kind of guidance on this kind of stuff, but uh, what that statement would suggest is that they genuinely awarded the punishment on the basis of the injury caused, which feels a bit sort of arbitrary to me
1: yeah it's mental um look in terms of like force of throw of the racket it really isn't you know the worst thing you'll ever see in your life but if you're at the point where you're letting people lob things into the crowd in a kind of dangerous uncontrolled way just don't really think that should be on at all um so, yeah, I, I was astonished she wasn't disqualified, to be honest. Um, Calvin, I'm sure without, you've I'm seen a lot
2: worse on tours around the world and, and, you know, disqualifications for less. It must have surprised you.
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen worse, for sure. Um, but people but, get
2: DQ'd, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, all the time, yeah. You, you'd have to get DQ'd there. I mean, I don't know. She could just do what Kyrgios seems to think is fine all the time and offer to give the kid a racket and then bang on about how much he gives to tennis and how popular he is. <laughs> That's the... <laughs> That seems to be the, just the get-out for any racket abuse uh, that, that he does. So I don't know why Begu just didn't do that.
2: She she, uh, she said afterwards that she was sorry, and then someone asked her a follow-up question She said, I don't really want to talk about it anymore, which seemed reasonable. Uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova didn't do press, apparently because no one requested her, because we didn't know that this was going to happen. <laughs> um, and there are no Russian media um, at Roland Garros, so um, obviously they didn't request her. But she posted on Instagram... Ah, Instagram joyous so disappointed to leave rg like that i was trying to do my best but seems like the rules were against me today this shouldn't be happening i hope after every after today's match rules will be improved for everyone's safety we are responsible for our racket and someone said to me you know what's going to happen for someone to have like a serious head injury or maybe even permanent damage for this to really make a difference i mean how hard do you have to throw a racket to do serious damage to someone
0: off the floor as well
2: like <laughs> yeah exactly so I, I think it's a bit hand to sort of say oh oh someone's gonna have to die for us to make a change here but i do think that the rules need codifying where it's like if you, you know you'd be very easy to make a rule that says if you throw your racket not while attempting a shot and it goes into the crowd this is what happens to you. Now, I'm not here to say whether you should be dequeued or you get like a double code violation or whatever, but it's a very easy rule to write, right?
0: I, th- I think... I'm not too fussed about the, the the racket one. The balls one is more of an issue when they're whacking balls around because that, that, you only need to catch one wrong as we saw with Shapovalov with the umpire, yeah. where it can cause serious damage. It's the Frack- racket one... Fractured
2: his ones... eye, um, eye socket, I believe that one. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, the one with... The the, the rackets one one's just a much of a you know, it's just a bit of a nonsense. Like mm. people talk about serious head injuries and people dying, like impossible. Yeah, all right, um, Alex
2: Ferguson, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what what I don't get what I, I I don't get why the rules aren't clearer, but what I also don't get is why players and I seem to remember Shapovlov said this earlier in the week, funny enough, is they're like, Oh no, we need to be allowed a way to release anger. I
0: was like, What? Like no, like leave it out, mate. In fairness, right. And I, I guess I'm kind of speculating here, but the rules were on rackets, the rules were always quite standard that if you broke a racket, you'd get a code violation. And then that changed around Serena Williams breaking a racket and then claiming that she was being treated unfairly for getting a code violation for breaking a racket. So that now seems to have changed that you don't always get one when you break a racket and you can get one without breaking a racket
2: so it's that weird thing where there are some things you definitely can't do but then there's a whole world of other things that you can't do that are just discretionary so there are some specific rules about um breaking a racket and you, you get formed for you get fined for that right like that's that's something yeah. that happens but that doesn't the grand slam handbook doesn't have like specifics on the code violations of that like it doesn't say if you break a racket that's a code violation the 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 fine mm. system says you shall not angrily hit kick or throw like but it doesn't really say like what the sort of you know what the hard and fast rules of that are it's totally discretionary basically and players like that because it means they can argue with umpires about it
0: I think I think, um... a, I think, I think something should be left to the umpires as well that that's umpire and if you can see a player's out of control and they're breaking and they're breaking a racket and they're, they're wavering on this guy's, or this this woman is, is out of control, then I think maybe dish one out. But if they've just, if you think they're in control and they've just rammed a racket and, and broke it, then, you know, yeah, give them a bit off. But it has to lie with the umpire, though. You can't, like I say, the problem was when Serena Williams starts thinking, Serena Williams and Nick Kyrgios both start thinking that they shouldn't get code violations for anything at all.
1: I think a, a lot of the thing around the actual racket smashing, the argument goes is about little pieces that could fly off and like go in people's eyes and stuff, which I know sounds maybe a bit ridiculous, but if you can kind of see that happening if someone's like smashing it on a hoarding and a little bit of the racket frays and goes into the, eye, ar- you know, something like that. But I, I still think you just, I don't see like, I, I while I take the point that no one's gonna die from what Begu did today, I still think fans should probably be able to go and watch matches uh, in the knowledge that players are going to be punished if if they intentionally kind of release a racket in anger and it's coming into the crowd. I think some sort of missile rule should should probably <laughs> be in there.
2: And I also think that players should be able to get through a whole match without actually losing it. Like every sport, every sport has rules about like being a twat. Like, that's basically what it is. Like just like don't be a twat. Like, if you want to get angry, like, just, just just, get angry. Like, I sometimes get angry at work. I've never broken anything at work. Like, if I broke something at work, people would think I had a problem. And, like, that would be true of anyone. Like, I, I do seen...
0: think, yeah, I, I kind of think, though, that there's a drama to it as well. I understand what you're saying, and you're right, but then, look, tennis's biggest ever star is John McEnroe. <laughs> and that was when tennis was at its most popular. And there was a specific reason. Although he was maybe the most brilliant talent we've ever seen, that wasn't the reason he was a star. And yes. that wasn't the reason that tennis was as popular as it was in the early to mid-80s.
2: Yeah, you cannot be serious, really change things at that point, in fairness. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for both sides. I just I just wish people wouldn't like act like a tit and then complain when people call them out for it.
0: Um, just slightly changing subject, James. Something I wanted to ask you, as someone there, what, what is the vibe amongst the players and the the those people around tournament with the Russian players who are there? Is, is there an atmosphere or
2: no? It's I think it's it's been pretty good. I mean, the French crowd will boo anyone, so um, they're not discriminating <laughs> on that ground. <laughs> ever ever got booed today because he basically tanked the last point of the match, like despite the fact he was quite obviously ill and had actually tried really hard for the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been funny. I I think they've been just pretty popular. I was, I was actually commenting on it to someone when Irina Savalenka was getting mobbed, um, after her match for autographs and stuff. And, you know, the same with, with Medvedev and Rublev and I think Kotov was here earlier in the week. And yeah, it, no one seems that bothered really. I think much as you've often said, like they're just their mates and they yeah. appreciate they're not really part of it. Um, the Ukrainian players, I think it is different, like, they have been very open and very moving speaking about what's going on and and their personal plight, because a lot of them have been really personally affected, obviously, so that's changed things, but, yeah, I, I don't think there's been anything particularly ugly, and I I, I do genuinely mean it, the French will do anyone.
0: I, I think a couple of things on that, I mean, I think with the Russian players, like I said, they're mates, and I think... Strangely, strangely, well, not strangely. I guess now it's changed a lot in the. I think Medvedev and Hachanov, in particular, and Rublev to a degree. They're they're quite popular guys mm. on the tour. They're they're not loners, and they they are they're friendly with a lot of the players. Yeah. Um. On the other thing, where you say the the fans booing the fan the French are, are so weird on this because they hate people tanking, like they hate it like the crowd and they'll boo anything which is strange because there's no country's players that tank more than french players <laughs> and, and to the extent where on tour we we started when we're traveling like we we started calling a tank the french cramp because every time every time a french player starts tanking obviously in a match and the umpire will warn them you've got to start trying more they always go i've got cramp <laughs> <laughs> so, so so it's we now call it yeah the french cramp when somebody's tanking they've got the french cramp
2: superb <laughs> i'm gonna start using that i think that's all we've got time for um it's been a really busy one george you're desperate desperate to say something
0: well
1: on your account james you're having a wonderful fantasy run i can't believe you've gone 59 minutes or whatever without saying that
2: oh i alluded to it when we talk about jill Tykeman, don't worry um yeah i'm third in fantasy James Gray, tennis expert.
1: Who, who's number one? We better big them up. Uh, Diego
2: Punto de Break, congratulations, number one by half a point. And then Game Set match and Nole, um, who I don't know who they support, but uh, they I think we are tennis fan.
1: We're confirmed that Calvin's gonna finish last in this. Um so so between the Calvin. three of us, yeah. Yeah. His yeah. rush
2: team has not come off well. And
1: uh I, I need a madness from Goff and Goffan, don't I? Do you have yeah. Goff actually, James?
2: No, I don't have Goff or Goffan. Yeah. So There we go. There you go. go. Uh, go Head to our Twitter and you'll be able to check on your progress. Head to our um, page and leave us a rating and a review and uh, head there to get our daily podlets from the French Open. It's all we've got time for. Please do come back again and thanks very much for listening.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.
2: plus.